politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, former citizens, and now the expendables of this wretched refuse we once called a republic. Welcome back to the CR podcast here at Blaze TV. Daniel Horowitz back in the house for Wednesday, December 16th. And I had to peel my way myself away from this Senate Homeland Security Committee hearing. Riveting testimony from people in Wisconsin, elsewhere, about the extent of the election fraud. 42,000 people voted twice just based on comparing records. Thousands of non-citizens voting. People moved out of state. The whole margin of victory was only 10,000 votes. This election was stolen beyond belief. But then again, everything down to our birthright has been stolen. We live in a two-tiered political system, a two-tiered justice system. With elites and criminals and illegal aliens on one side. And the rest of us expendables, those of us that don't want to hand out, we don't want to be indebted, we don't want massive debt and spending, we just want to be able to open our businesses, pray to the God we want, school our kids, not have our mouths and our nose covered, our two-year-olds abused on airlines, not have criminals released while our people are arrested, have a fair election where we could all just vote normally, no games, no shenanigans. We go in person on election day and vote. We we, we don't have non-citizens voting. Somehow these are radical ideas, are extreme Nazi-like ideas that we must be censored. We must have every boot and tool of the legal and political system used against us in both directions, even when they contradict themselves. And that's where we're going to pick up Today, one of the things that I think so many of you have appreciated coming and discovering this show over the last year or so, we've really tripled in size the past year, is that, A, you understand I'm I'm always independent. I'm an independent conservative. I think we need a new party. We need a new movement. Both parties are, are part of the problem. I don't carry water for any particular movement, party, or individual We're very consistent here. We're very detailed. We go through history and the long-term first principles as well as the very specific ideas, proactive ideas that I believe we should implement on the various policy issues, legislative strategies. And one of the things you appreciate is that we don't just focus on the issues that the media focuses on, which is what most of my colleagues do, which is why a lot of them miss the p- real perspective on an issue. I'm actually following the par- particularities of that issue for years before it came to the forefront of the news. And what I'm referring to specifically today is the two-tier justice system in the courts. You see, suddenly everyone's focusing on election law and the federal courts, the role of the federal courts, the rules of Article 3 standing. But unlike myself, they haven't focused on it for the last number of years, and therefore they miss what is going on right here, right now, that gives you a broader context you're not going to hear. So you've been hearing 
from all these very principled so-called conservatives, so-called Republicans saying, look, Daniel, I don't think we should do this. I don't know. This is not the right way to deal with election fraud, even though they don't show us what is the right way other than waving the white flag. But they say, look, a state can't sue another state. Trump campaign doesn't have standing. Mark Kelly doesn't have, Mike Kelly in Pennsylvania doesn't have standing. Nobody has standing. Let the states do, you know, you, 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 you might be concerned about what states are doing, but look, you know, as part of the political system, go win elections and you, you implement the election laws the way you want. Don't come crying to the federal courts. And the point I've been making to you guys is like, dude, I've been saying that for 10 years. We're only in this position because the federal courts have denuded our side of any ability to put in voter verification processes to ensure that we don't have fraudulent voters, to ensure that we don't have non-citizens voting and other voting anomalies. And every single thing we try to implement, which is very tough because Republicans rarely want to do good things when they win power, but we win hard-fought elections. And when the Democrats win those elections, they could do whatever they want with that power. Courts never interfere. But everything we want to do, the federal courts say, no, there's a right to ballot harvesting. There's a right to endless mail-ins. There's a right to non-citizens voting and you can't check proof of citizenship. There's a right to vote without photo ID, even though you need a photo ID for so many other public services and even many, many, many private services as well. Practically everything you do in life. And we are in this position precisely because of judicial supremacism, precisely because federal courts are denuding the states. They're just powers that they have pursuant to Article 1, Section 4, times, methods, and manner of elections is run by the states, certainly as part of the 10th Amendment. And we never heard these protestations from all these people. Oh my God! How do the federal courts get involved? This is null and void. There's no standing. How do you have standing to sue? Like, broadly, you know, I don't I don't like uh, photo ID. Well, I don't know. Were you denied? If you're denied a vote and you right, you know, have a rightful right to vote, then you could vote. But you can't just nullify a statute like that. That's not how the courts work. Suddenly, when we have the most rampant fraud ever built upon a system of electoral processes that are illegal pursuant to state law, mainly because of federal judicial interventions over the years, but the insidious, pathetic Supreme Court allows their pit bull lower courts to violate the Constitution and state election laws. Suddenly now they're like, well, what do you want from the Supreme Court? They have to butt out. It's a state issue. Well, two days after I wrote that column and... and Talked about it on my podcast. There are two cases right here, right now, that demonstrate this point. That demonstrate this point in real time. On Monday, the Supreme Court essentially, I say essentially because it was just the denial of cert, but by denying cert, they blocked the state of Kansas from requiring proof of citizenship to be submitted in order to register to vote. So while everyone's talking about, oh my God, 
Federal courts have no right to tell Pennsylvania and Michigan and Nevada what to do with their voters if they want to count double votes, out-of-state votes, mail-ins not pursuant to law, ballot harvesting not pursuant to law. If they want to steal an election, that's a state issue. (laughs) It infects the ultimate federal question, but that's a state issue. And I've noted to people, I said, look, the reason we've gotten to this position is because of the federal courts. And I noted to people, I said, what, do you, what, what is our hope? So a lot of people will say, well, let's win these states back. It's Governor Tom Wolf and his Secretary of State is, it did a lot of this in, in Pennsylvania. Well, you know, win, win the governorship in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Wisconsin, Michigan, they're all up this cycle. Win them in 2022. And you can change the laws or reaffirm the existing laws that weren't followed. No, you can't. Because anything we want to do, the most basic thing, there's a qualification. You know, you got to be a citizen to vote, right? Right? That's the bedrock of citizenship, of the franchise. Well, you have to be a citizen to vote. So what's the only way to ensure that that's enforced? Well, submit a birth certificate or, or passport to register to vote, right? I mean, that's the only way to verify it. I've had to submit a birth certificate for so many things, for employment, other things. Certainly, you should do it for the franchise, which is entirely built upon this. Instead, it's an honor system. An honor system. And these same vermin courts, and I warned in my book five years ago, I warned in my thesis of 11 reasons why the federal judiciary is irremediably broken and why so-called appointing Federalist Society conservative justices will not save it. And one of the points I made is that the game the Supreme Court is playing is this. They allow the lower courts to create novel, novel ideas and phony rights. Oh, it burdens your right to vote to submit a birth certificate. There's a right to ballot harvesting. There's a right to everything you want. They get standing. They sue in court. They sue in federal court. They win at a district level. They win at the appellate level. And then suddenly the Supreme Court becomes very hands-off, very much restrained. Well, we're going to deny the appeal from the state. In other words, you let it stand. A lot of people take issue with my language. Oh, the Supreme Court did this. Well, they didn't do anything, Daniel. It's the lower courts. They just denied cert. That's the same thing. There's one thing if you have a very in-the-weeds individual plaintiff case, and you know they figure they'll allow it to percolate a little while in the lower courts before they take it up. I understand you can't always read into denial of cert how five justices believe. But if you have lower courts denuding a democratically elected legislature from blocking non-citizens from voting based on extremely insane readings of the 14th Amendment, and you deny cert, that is a statement. That is at least five justices, if not six, stating clearly that they are okay with it. If you are a conservative Supreme Court, allegedly, you have an obligation to expeditiously take up every lower court appeal that violates state election law. If you're going to tell me, look, you know, don't go to the Supreme Court, you know, uh, you know, all these guys, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, maybe, maybe uh, Barrett, whoever else, look, you know, we don't want to get involved in state election law. Well, if you have a lower court nullifying state election law 
that strengthens voter integrity. You have an obligation to kick the lower courts out of it and allow the state to stand the same way you're allowing state voter fraud to stand when they weaken voter integrity illegally. But of course, it's a one-way street. I will be the only one talking about this. I sent this to Mark Levin, so I'm assuming he will. I have an article out today. In 2011, the Kansas, again, we talk about democracy and um, letting the state do what they want. I want you to recognize we live in a time when we are told that there is nothing that a state cannot do to violate our life, our liberty, and property. They could shut down our businesses, our schools, our churches. They can go ahead and curfew us. They could cover our mouths and the mouths of our children. They could force us to vaccinate. They could monitor every step we make, every move we take. But you know what? They could even regulate interstate travel and put travel bans on other states under COVID. Something that not only is it unconstitutional, but even under the Articles of Confederation, where they could regulate interstate commerce, they couldn't, pursuant to Article 4 of those articles, regulate interstate travel of an American citizen. So in 2011, they passed the SAFE Act, pushed by Chris Kobach. It passed 111 to 11 in the House and 36 to 3 in the state Senate. In other words, about 70% of Democrats joined every Republican in voting for the most basic proposition of just, look, you got to show a photo ID at at the polls and to register to vote. We have to know that you're a citizen. You have to produce a citizenship document. In comes the federal district judge, not not even state. This is a federal district judge and upheld by the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and said that the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment does not justify the burden imposed on the right to vote. And they basically said that a state needs to demonstrate with sufficient proof that they think is enough that a sufficient number of non-citizens have voted before you're allowed to do that. Imagine anything in life like, you know, that we have basic verification to do banking and, you know, driver's licenses or anything we do. Well, show me it's a problem first in a court case before I could, I have to produce ID. Again, this is the two-tiered system we have. We have one system for everyday life and one for special people, like voter fraudsters and non-citizens. Folks, this issue obviously we know is very serious. It's not a speculative issue. It's a prima facie problem. We have record, we've never had this number of non-citizens in the country. We have record immigration, so we have a lot of non-citizens, right? That's number one. Number two, we have motor voter laws that seamlessly register anyone who goes for a driver's license to vote. Now, every legal immigrant could get a driver's license, as as they should. 
And in about 15 or so states at least, illegal aliens get driver's licenses. And there's no verification. It's an honor system. Don't worry, we'll, we'll vet out non-citizens voting. And then now it's gotten worse because now they have tons of states. Nevada is one of them, has automatic voter registration. So it's not just like they ask you at the motor voter, you know, at the DMV, hey, you're, red, you're getting a driver's license, do you want to vote? They're actually taking anyone who, is who, who has a driver's license and they're automatically registering them with a very faulty system. So ironically, you often have like legal immigrants that they're not even trying to fraudulently, fraudulently register. They're automatically registered. And then they're like, well, I thought you had to be a citizen, but okay, I'll, I'll take that. You, you mail me a, a card that says I'm registered, I'll go out and vote. And ironically, they get them into trouble because now they're on the hook for a felony. They could be deported and lose their potential to apply for a green card or citizenship. Even if they're not here illegally, even if they came here illegally because they committed a felony. But often it's not even their fault. They're not even trying to do it. That's how absurd this system is. The Nevada GOP is alleging based on subpoenaed DMV data they obtained, they matched voter registrations and, and records of those who voted in this election to DMV records and citizenship records. They found that 6260 non-citizens registered to vote and almost 4,000 non-citizens had indeed voted. That, that little sliver of the larger voter fraud they found with the out-of-state voters and the duplicate voters, that alone is, is 40% of Biden's alleged margin of victory. And we are told there is no way. The all-powerful states, there's nothing a state can't do. You know, last night, Cuomo announced he is banning the sale of Confederate flags in the state of New York. How could a governor do that constitutionally? I don't care what your politics are on the Confederate flag. It's a Confederate flag today. It's a cross or a star of David tomorrow. It's anything. That's how all this starts out, like we've seen with the tech censorship. And I guarantee you there won't be a court case, and I guarantee you if there is, they'll say you can't get standing, and I guarantee you if you get standing, they'll rule against us. Because it's talk to the hand. It's a two-tiered system in this country. Of phony rights for their protected classes, phony rules of standing, phony federalism and state powers when it suits them, but not when it suits us when it's for real. Hence, a state is allowed to nullify federal immigration law, but it can't enforce federal immigration law. A state is able to nullify, or a governor could nullify a state legislature's Long-standing statutes on voter ver verification. But a state can't vote with 95% of the legislature to strengthen voter verification to weed out the most basic voter fraud of non-citizens voting. Andy McCarthy, all these National Review writers, are they going to write about this case? How it's null and void and doesn't respect the 10th Amendment and state powers over elections are pursuant to Article 1, Section 4? No, because we don't have a party that
that's going to do anything. And this is the thing. Even if we could push state legislators in the 31 states Republicans control legislatures, 24 where they control the governorship too, to push good stuff, guess what's going to happen? Every single thing is going to be enjoined by a federal court. Now, Daniel, what power does a court have to do it? You're right, they don't. Just ignore it. But we don't have a party that is willing to do that because we don't have a party representing our side of the story. The American side of the story. I felt you guys should know this because you're not going to hear this anywhere else. This Kansas case where the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's playing this game. They did it with the transgender surgery in Idaho. They did it with the homeless encampments in, in Idaho. Ninth circuits, radical circuits making very radical things. Not only will these vermin not overturn existing bad Supreme Court precedent, but these schmucks, we wasted Trump's entire presidency on these losers, and I was the only one who really said this. Phony conservatives. Because we know at least some of them had to be participating, because now officially you should have five votes without Roberts. And really easily four to take it up. All these cases, they're allowing lower federal courts to crush the states. Except, of course, when states are raping our bodies, raping our children, raping our businesses. And suddenly, there's no standing in court. Talk to the hand. You plebes, you expendables. Oh, I know, I know the Supreme Court victories yesterday in Colorado, New Jersey. I get it on the, on the churches. That's crap. And you know it. Basically, implicitly, what the courts are basically saying, like the Supreme Court is like, yeah, you know what? If you're going to have COVID fascism, don't have special capacity limits on churches. They have to be uniform. It's a stupid carve out. But implicit in those rulings are fundamentally the foundation of what the governors and mayors are doing is somehow constitutionally sound. Just you're taking a little bit too far here, or just apply it evenly. That's the best they'll do for us. This is where we are. That is case number one. There was another denial of cert by the Supreme Court on Monday that I forgot to mention that tells a similar story. So here's the deal. A state government could nullify its own election law. A state government could lock down our lives and mask our faces indefinitely. A state government can thwart federal immigration law. But by golly, according to this conservative Supreme Court, a state government doesn't have the power over its own birth certificates to define a mother and a father the way biology is. Because guess what? The governors are able to destroy our lives because of science. Oh, but governors are not able to properly write a birth certificate that indeed follows biology in its most basic sense. What I'm talking about is this. There's a case... Um, out of Indiana that a lot of you maybe haven't followed. I've been following this case. And this case is so telling and revealing 
about my thesis about the courts being irremediably broken and the Supreme Court will never be there for us on the big cases to stop the lower court tyranny. They tacitly bless it no matter how many so-called conservatives you put on that court. Box v. Henderson. So basically, the state of Indiana, the Indiana Attorney General, was sued in federal court, district court in uh, Indiana, and then that was upheld, of course, by the Seventh Circuit because every circuit except for the Eighth is broken. Oh, Trump appointed all these judges? Nope, this was written by a Republican judge. That the state of Indiana must record the so-called lesbian wife of a woman giving birth through artificial insemination as a biological parent of the child. So, remember that immediately following Obergefell, every state just collapsed. Yes, yes, we have to give a marriage license license to someone uh to to a same sex relationship. Okay, fine. And they weren't they, they were doing it liberally. Then they're like, we need to adopt children. Don't even get me started on that issue. You know, they're all like, you know, if someone brings a child here illegally, somehow that's it's of no fault of their own. They miss the fact that it's of no fault of the American citizen to have to pay for it and deal with the stolen sovereignty either. But somehow, of no fault of the child, they get stuck in a home like this. And even if somehow you're okay with sodomy, orgies, and anti-biblical views, fine. But the notion that it is 100% an equal proposition, and a child of no fault of their own, before they're even old enough to understand, can be placed in one of these homes, is sick. Sick beyond belief. But that was not being prevented in Indiana. They were having gay adoptions. And indeed, they were even being put down on the birth certificate as parents. But like all cases of adopted parents, they're put down through a different process that indicates they're not the biological parent. Right? I mean, this is done. You have a mother and a father that can't conceive for whatever reason. And they um, adopt a child, right? So they're they're not biological parents. So you have two women that decide to call them their relationship a marriage. Okay, fine. One of them decides, I guess, to be the wife. And one of them, I guess, is the husband. And the so-called wife is able to give birth through artificial insemination. Okay, so, I mean, that you could put down the mother. But then they sued that Indiana should put down the other mother as the whatever they even want. Father, butch, he, she, wife, mother number two, whatever. I mean, I don't even know what, I still don't understand it, but whatever. They want to put it down as if that woman's lack of penis gave birth to the thing. And, and I'm sorry to speak this way. And I just, I, because we become so de- desensitized, we use these mellifluous euphemisms like um same sex uh couple like like as if like something like that that's a biological impossibility and the seventh circuit republican judge said you have to do it the supreme court agreed by not taking up the case they're agreeing with the lower court but it's it's worse than that 
So a couple of points to make. So before we go on, just first of all, this is another example of whatever happened to states' rights, internal affairs. There is nothing more internal than defining biology as biology as it relates to state birth certificates. States always have a compelling interest in ensuring government officials can identify public health trends. We all know public health is so important. So we need to determine biological lineage, susceptibility to genetic disorders. We have to, right? We're, we're all told that's so important for public health to track. Except for this, of course. Because again, a two-tier system. The homosexual agenda, the rainbow jihad, is up there with illegal aliens and voter fraud. And COVID fascism is a protected religion. All biology... All sanity, all science must yield to the homosexual agenda. Yes, a woman could impregnate another woman. Yes, yes. States' rights. Oh, all these people talking about, oh, these states have the power to implement voter fraud. But they don't have the power to define human biology as human biology. On something that is solely a state issue. But there's something f- more important here. We were told by all the thumbsuckers, oh, vote Republican. I understand Republicans suck, but they're going to appoint judges. And judges do everything in life. You know, rather than actually militating against that premise of judicial supremacism, we agree to it. Oh, and we're, we're going to overturn the bad decisions. And I've warned you that not only are they not going to overturn Roe v. Wade, but they're not, not even going to overturn the recent stuff over the last five years that expanded those insane decisions. And you would think now that we have so-called five conservatives, you easily reverse those. Nope. This is a perfect example. So let's go back to Obergefell. The Supreme Court creates a right. I want to be very clear here. This is not an anti-sodomy law at issue in Obergefell. It wasn't like the states were going around kicking in doors and arresting people for engaging in sodomy in their house. That's not what they were doing. It, was, it, was not, it wasn't a negative, unalienable right. I mean, not that there's an unalienable right to sodomy, but I'm saying even, even if they want to define it as such, it was a positive request, a request for a positive privilege from the state. You could do whatever you want. You could spread AIDS and syphilis to your heart's content. No one was stopping them. They came to the state and said, redefine marriage on our behalf and give us a marriage certificate. Well, it's not a marriage. I mean, you could do what you want, but it's just not a marriage. And we were told that the 14th Amendment ratified in 1867, which at the time did criminalize the act, somehow forces and compels a state to recognize it and they have no, no, no other way of doing it. Anthony Kennedy himself, two years prior to writing that in the Windsor case in 2013, he said, very clearly, regulation of domestic relations is an area that has long been regarded as a virtually exclusive province of the states. The federal government through our history has deferred to state law policy decisions with respect to domestic relations. One would expect that anyone with a modicum of originalism from these Federalist Society judges would easily Overturn Obergefell. You don't have to be a culture warrior. You could yourself not have a problem with sodomy and the homosexual agenda. But you would have to admit from a constitutional standpoint, a state could do what it wants. Now, if you think homosexuality has become so popular over the last five years, 
So fine, then all 50 states will easily just vote to recognize it. I mean, if, if you're really right about that, then fine. But the notion that a federal court could force a state to do that is absurd, right? But nonetheless, I never had any inkling that any of the non-Thomas justices, even the ones that originally voted against Obergefell, would have the guts to do it. But nonetheless, it goes deeper than that. Two years later in 2017, there was an Arkansas case. A lot of people don't realize this. Paven v. Smith, where John Roberts joined with Anthony Kennedy and the four, at the time, the four ironclad liberals, six to three, to expand Obergefell to biology. So basically what the Indiana courts and the Seventh Circuit did was really coming from the Supreme Court itself, Paven v. Smith. There, I think, was a case of two men, and they said you have to have the second husband as the biological father on the birth certificates. And once again, even though Roberts agreed Obergefell was wrong, but once it becomes the thing, that's the, the, this is the one-way ratchet, not only won't he overturn Ober, Obergefell, he'll expand it, that you now have to recognize gay marriages as if it's a biological marriage that you literally impregnated the person. Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito dissented at the time. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, well, this is why they denied cert to Indiana, because they feel that the lower court got it right because of Paven v. Smith. But therein lies the rub. Why wouldn't you take it up as the perfect vehicle, and it is, to overturn Paven? It's not even overturning Obergefell. It's just the notion that it has to be recorded. It doesn't overturn forcing gay uh, states to accept gay marriage licenses. Issue them. It doesn't overturn gay adoption. It doesn't overturn giving them a birth certificate. It's just the recording of it as if they literally gave birth to the person. That's all they had to do with taking up the appeal and overturning Paven. But it didn't happen. Now, does it mean that we don't even have four votes? Because you might say, doesn't it take four to take up? I don't know. You have to be careful with that because um, there are times where you have four, but you don't have five. So they don't want to bring up the case and then lose it until they feel they can get another vote or convince someone or whatever. But at a minimum, we clearly know we don't have five votes that are willing to uphold biology and states' rights to that limited degree. So at a process of elimination, if Gorsuch originally opposed Paven, and by the way, just because Gorsuch and Alito originally opposed Paven doesn't mean that they're not gonna, they don't have a little bit of Roberts in them, which I know they do. All the non-Thomas ones, to a certain degree, they're kind of scared. Once it's done, it's done. One-way street. The left could overturn things anywhere. They could overturn civilization anytime they want. This is the problem with conservative judges. But at the very minimum, I would say Kavanaugh. And Kavanaugh has made it very clear from his writings that something like Pavin, he would regard as clear um, precedent. So here's the problem. Anything the Supreme Court has done that's been bad under Roberts and Kennedy, we're going to get no advantage to having five non-Roberts Republican appointees because by definition, how do you get it to the court? A lower court had to rule rule on it. And according to Kavanaugh, they ruled the right way because that's currently Supreme Court precedent. And that's assuming that Gorsuch or Barrett or whatever 
aren't squeamish about taking this stuff up. But of course we know they are, because of course we already know that Gorsuch redefined human sexuality in civil rights law in the Bostock case. Because again, this is not about principles of state powers, of federalism, whether you agree or disagree, but at least a consistent view. It's about a two-tiered system based on outcomes. And if the outcome is something that the homosexuals want, it's something the transgenders want, it's something that illegal aliens want, it's something that the political elites say is imperative, like COVID fascism. By hook or by crook, that will be the result. The fix is in. We have nowhere to turn if we continue to play the judicial game of listening to their decisions while the left doesn't listen to the ones they don't like and of voting Republican and having Republican representation. This is a presentation you will not hear anywhere else. These are two earth-shattering cases, one dealing with civilization, culture, one dealing with the crux of election integrity to prevent non-citizens from voting. It happened this week as we're debating standing in court and state powers over election law and internal affairs and the role of the federal courts in getting involved. Basically, Unless you and I convince Republican legislators to start doing what the left did. I mean, the left told the federal judge, told the leader to go to hell in Philadelphia, kicked out the poll watchers even after being required to let them in. But unless we do the same thing when we are right about the law and the Constitution, even if we have legislatures this term, do what we want, which I'm going to work very hard in all these legislatures. I mean, think about it. In Wyoming, Republicans have something like, trying to see here, what was it? It was like 51 to 7 majority in the Senate. They have a mask mandate in the state of Wyoming. Okay? State of Wyoming, they have a mask mandate. 51 to 7 majority in the state Senate, 28 to 2 majority. I'm sorry, 28 to 2 in the Senate, 51 to 7 in the House. Where do you and I turn? Where do we go? Even if we get these Republicans to listen to us on self-defense, on anti-crime laws, on COVID fascism, on election integrity, on clamping down on illegal immigration. Every single one of them will be attacked in federal court. And every time the courts will violate their own stated principles when the shoe's on the other foot. And our people will say, okay, it's the law of the land. So that's where you go with the courts. But I want to mention a couple other things with two-tier justice. Two-tier justice. You see? A court, this was a state or county court in Orange County, ordered the sheriff to release 1,800 inmates that are a serious threat to, to the community. The sheriff, I'm trying to get him on the show, is refusing, and that's good news, and that lends credence to my whole local plan of really working sheriffs and prosecutors 
and county commissioners and school board officials. And we'll talk more about that in the coming days and, and really next year when we have more shows left. But there's a story out of KRE 11. This is in St. Paul, Minnesota. The same Ramsey County that is now, 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 is, that is now summoning Larvita McFarker to court. That's that lovely woman who had her restaurant attacked by the state. They want it shut down. There is no jail time in Ramsey County for the man who toppled the Columbus statue in June, which is a felony. He'll get community service where he'll be educating the public about genocide of Native Americans. He won't have to pay a dollar in restitution for damaging state property. Certainly no jail time. But you and I will wind up in jail and handcuffed for opening a business. A two-tier justice system, indeed. This is the society we live in. Truly, truly sick times. Truly sick times. I don't know what to tell you, folks. What's happening is kind of like Brexit. We saw this with Brexit, if you remember. See, some of my colleagues think like there's a clean way of fighting back. Like there's a clean way where... You know, the guy comes on a white horse and saves us and, you know, Republicans win an election and, okay, the Democrats somehow go away and we cleanly pass what we want to do and don't offend anyone and the media is going to be okay with it and it's not going to attack us as crazies. Oh, Daniel, I don't like these crazies on the right. We, we need, I, I agree with you, but we need a sensible way to do it. We started to notice this with Brexit when they had a clear, clean vote. And the elites of the country, and again, this is where when it's the courts, when it's the politicians, when it's the media, when it's all the institutions, they get together and they say, this is it. The fix is in. We're just not doing Brexit. They accuse us of being lawless and fascist and not following things when they're the ones that literally will not follow the Constitution at all. So, um, this is the point. They're allowed to do whatever they want. If there's a legitimate vote, even though it violates human rights and constitutional rights, which you know, the law of the land is not a legislative vote. The Constitution supersedes even a legislature. But it's like, well, they, they decided. Even if it's not a legislature, the legislature votes the other way, but an executive power nullifies the law. Well, Daniel, there's a governor. He can do what he wants. But when we have a legitimate vote, such as the non-citizens, you know, proof of citizenship in Kansas, passed 111 to 11, 70% of Democrats support in the legislature. No, the federal courts get to decide. Notice a pattern here. Heads they win, tails we lose. 
everything is stacked against us. This is my point. Because the Republican Party allows that to happen. See, naturally, we have factions in this country. We're always going to have factions. And each faction, historically, has been represented by people that pretty accurately represented their views. This is the first time in history we literally don't have anyone representing us. Because the party that was billed itself as doing that did it enough to block out any real opposition. But then, of course, they turn on us. So we're left with nothing. Do you know right now there's three major bills? The NDAA, the omnibus spending bill for the rest of twenty FY2021, and the corona bill that they're about to, they're now going to agree to spend another $900 billion. Where each one of them, we could address our grievances, whether it's election fraud, whether it's COVID fascism, whether it's the release of violent criminals, to condition funding in the budget bill and the corona bill to states based on redressing some of these problems. Nothing. We don't even get on the map. We don't even get on the map. This is where we are, folks. Two-tiered justice system. Where basically the left and all their institutions could get together and say the fix is in. This is the moral thing to do. This is what's right. Talk to the hand. This is what we're doing. You are bad. We ban you. This policy is right. Law and constitution get ignored. And each one will conflict with each other in terms of this pseudo legal principle behind it, but it doesn't matter. This is, I, I understand today and yesterday were kind of depressing shows. But this is all leading up to the point of we need to change our game. At least if you are in so-called red counties, you need Sons of Liberty groups to get together and raise hell with all your local officials. Either they're with us or they're against us. Make it local. Go where the power is. The police force. We need to get in with the police departments, the sheriffs. And talk more about a lot of this. Let me know if you have better ideas. I'm, I'm open to ideas. I'm going to be challenging my colleagues to meet. Sometime in the coming weeks and months. In a constitutional convention style type of meeting. Pray together. Ask for guidance. Deliberate and trade ideas of what we, what we need to do. Because this problem is much greater. Than the capacity of any solution that we've had until now. To deal with. This is not even a matter of like. Hedonism. Like where it's been the last generation. Or profligacy and debt. I mean we're well beyond that. This is where we cannot live safe and free lives. In the most basic sense. That you would expect in any first world country. Much less a special. Democratic republic like America was. We have anarchy and we have tyranny. Mixed in the worst way. Where it's anarchy for some and tyranny for others. At its core, I think I got the right diagnosis. The two-tiered political system. The question is, what we do about it. Isn't it ironic how everything they want to do is under the guise of the equal protection clause? 
They create the greatest inequality under the bastardization of an equal protection clause. Congressman James F. Wilson of Iowa, who drafted that very clause of the 14th Amendment in 1866. He was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He was the floor manager of that whole process of the 1866 Civil Rights Act, which became the forerunner of the 14th Amendment. And he famously said that the Equal Protection Clause is establishing no new right. No new, no, no, no new principle in creating no new right. That is our history. That is our legacy. That is the law, the 14th Amendment that we adopted in 1867. We're not going to allow these vermin to take that away from us. And it's time we step up our game. Let's discuss this on our Facebook page, Minimum Speakeasy. Tweet me at Arm Conservative. Email me at dharowitz at playsmedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and let's fight on. Fight on.